and welcome to Vision Sunday. Guys, I'm so excited. Out of all the Sundays in the year, this is one of my favorite because for those of you who are maybe new here or don't know what this is about, at the beginning of every year, we really seek God and we're asking God as He leads His church, what is the next step that He wants us to take? What's it bold kind of move, what's a big change that he might be wanting us to make in our lives as he leads and directs this community of people. And so at the beginning of every year, we have a Vision Sunday where we share that big move. We share that next step, that thing that God wants us to focus on. And so that's why I'm excited to share the vision for 2024 here at New Life Church. You know, um, when I was younger, I loved like was obsessed with Christian music. I still today love, love, love Christian music. But as a teenage boy, I really got into Christian music uh, and probably no surprise, but my, my first favorite Christian album was by a singer called Rebecca and James, and she released this album called God. And on this album, there was a lyric that as a teenage boy always just stuck with me. Like it's just something I always thought about and uh, it really challenged me. And the lyric was this, until you find something worth dying for, you're not really living. Until you find something worth dying for, you're not really living. And as a, as a young kid, like that struck me. I used to think about like, am I really living? Like, have I found it? Have I, have I found something I'd be willing to give my life for? Have I found something that I'd be willing to lay down my life for? Like the idea is that until you found something you love that much, something that you're passionate about that much, that you haven't yet really experienced life. And so I used to think about like, have I found that thing that I would die for? In fact, I want to ask you today, have you found that thing that you would die for? Have you found that thing that you would give up your life for? Right, and I'm not just talking about like maybe your, your family. I'm talking about like, is there a cause you would lay down your life for? Is there a cause? Is there something that you'd say, hey, I would give my life up for this? This would, this would be willing, I'd be willing to lay down my life for this. Because as I read through the, the, this beautiful scripture, what I find again and again is a group of men and women who have found something. They found something that they would give up their lives for. In fact, this year I've been reading through the book of Acts, and it's really just been so challenging to me to see how these early believers, these apostles and disciples, they were so willing to risk it all. They were so willing to lay down their lives, and there's one thing that they would lay down their lives for, and it was this, Jesus Christ. But it gets even more specific than that, because it wasn't just Jesus that they would lay down their lives for. There was an element of their faith that they would die for. Because I think if I ask in a church like this, how many of you would die for Jesus? You know, we're, we're a church and we're putting on our best selves and we would all be like, yay, I'd die for Jesus, right? But it wasn't just Jesus that they would die for. There was an element of their faith that they were very passionate about. You know what it was that they would die for, that they had found, that they would give their lives up for? It was the work of telling other people about Jesus, this was their cause. This is what they would die for, the work of telling others about Jesus. They were so passionate about this that they would rather die than be silent. They would rather die than not speak up. They would rather die than hide Jesus and keep him to themselves. And I find this so strikingly different to Christians today. Don't you? 
Because Christians today, we, we don't respond like that. In fact, often we have a very private relationship with Jesus. And maybe there's parts of our faith that we're passionate about. Maybe we'd say, you know, like, no one will ever stop me from praying, or no one will ever stop me from talking to God. No one will ever stop me from going to church. No one will ever stop me from reading the Bible. But I don't know many Christians who'd be like, no one will ever stop me from preaching the gospel. In fact, what I hear Christians say nowadays is this, well, I don't want to impose my beliefs on someone else. Right, I mean, we, we have this sense of like, well, it's not right for me. And so there are people that we work with for years, and we never bring up the topic of religion. No, 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 no. That's against work policy, right? There are people we meet every other weekend, a group of friends that maybe you've had for years, and you've never really asked them about their belief in Jesus. There might be people in your family who you're too scared to broach the topic with, you sneak out on Sundays, privately, secretly. They don't even know you go to church. And it's so different from these early disciples who were like, I would rather die than be silent. And then the modern-day Christians are like, well, we don't want to impose our beliefs onto other people. Jesus actually speaks about these kinds of Christians. And we read him saying this in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, from verse 14. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Look at someone and say, you are the light. Not only is Jesus, by the way, he calls himself the light of the world, but then he says, you are the light of the world. Do you know why? Because Jesus now lives in you. He's made you the light. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, everyone say in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It sounds very imposing. Let it shine. Let everyone see Jesus in you. Don't hide your light. And church, this should make special sense to us because we live in South Africa and we experience something unique here called load shedding. And you know what happens when we're in load shedding? We look, we scramble for a light. We look around for a candle or a, or a lamp or something, and we're so glad when we get our light because now I can see again. Now I can see where I'm going. Now I can see what I'm doing. Now I can see what I'm eating. Now I can check the bed before I get in it at night. We have a light. This is what Jesus does to us. And Jesus says here in Matthew 5, what a shame would it be if you were so scared that your light would offend others that instead of letting it shine bright for the world to see and illuminating their life, their life so that they no longer live in darkness, instead of doing that, you say, oh, shame. Well, I don't want to impose. And you cover your light. What a shame, Jesus is saying. What what use is there of him being in you if you're going to hide him? What use is there of the light of the world dwelling within you? This is a work of the cross, the beautiful salvation that allows Jesus to now dwell in you. You become the temple of God. And how, how sad 
If we finally have the fulfilled prophecy of Jesus living within us, and then we decide to hide him. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let it shine. Let it shine. You go light up the darkness. You get in people's faces. You show them the light. You don't hide it. And so as we come to Scripture, we are reminded that our job is to be imposing about our beliefs. Our job is to be bold about our faith. And it goes very much against our society that's all about cult, like sensitivity and, and inclusivity and tolerance and, oh, you can believe what you believe. We all pray to the same God at the end of the day. No, we don't. No, we do not. Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the only way to God the Father. There is no other way. There is no other way, church. And I know we get scared, like, oh, what if I say that? And someone feels rejected. What if I say that Jesus is the only way? And then they get, like, offended with me. And so I, I just I want to be inclusive, and I want to be tolerant. And listen, this is the most inclusive message in the world because it is for everyone, and it's in the heart of God that not one should perish, but that all should have eternal life. Imagine you saying that the only way to Johannesburg was on the N12. That's the only way there. And then you're telling people, hey, I found the way, I found the way. And they say, well, that's exclusive. No, I've just found the way, and I'm not being exclusive because everyone's invited. You can all come. Here's the way. And so that is our job to tell people there is only one way to God. But we, we're sensitive around it because we don't want to impose, we don't want to offend. But can I just challenge all of you who are so scared of offending others? I think that logic is so short-sighted. It's, it's, you're not thinking long-term, big picture. Because how offended do you think that person's going to be when they end up in hell for eternity? Knowing they lived alongside you and you kept quiet about the truth. Knowing they lived alongside you, they interacted with you, they worked with you, they shopped with you, they went to school with you, and you just kept quiet. You knew the way. You knew the answer for them to live instead of in hell, but in heaven for eternity. And, and you kept it to yourself. I think they're going to be pretty offended. For eternity. And so it's, it's, it makes sense to risk it, their offense for a moment to prevent them from being offended for eternity. You see, these early Christians, they were willing to risk it. They, nothing you could do, they were all in. Nothing you could do could keep them quiet. They were like, the only reason I'm alive is to shout out the message of Jesus to the whole world. I, I don't care about your feelings. I care about your eternity. I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. This is a good message. It is good news. And so they were so bold about just telling people about Jesus and everyone around them tried to stop them. But nothing would make them stop. This was their resolve. Nothing would stop me from telling people about Jesus. I would rather die. And they lived it out. They lived it out. You see them living it out. They dragged into court and ordered in the name of the government authority to stop, but they don't stop. They get publicly stoned and they run off and escape, but they don't stop. They get bored into the courtyards and publicly whipped and threatened that this will happen again to you if you don't stop, and they don't stop. They get persecuted again and again. Their family members get put to death, but they don't stop. 
They just will not stop. The only thing that could make them stop was death. That's the only way to, to stop it. That's why over 90% of the early apostles died. They were killed because they just stubbornly refused to stop telling people about Jesus Christ. No matter who told them, no matter what threat there was to their life, no matter who didn't like it, they just would not stop. They shouted the message of Jesus. Wherever they went, they were so bold about their faith. They had found something worth dying for. In fact, when you're reading through Acts, you're going to come across this beautiful verse. In Acts 20, verse 24, it says these words. The writer of Acts says, but my life is worth nothing. My life is worth nothing to me unless, everyone say unless. Unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. And can I remind you, church, that work was assigned to you too. My life is worth nothing unless I use it to finish the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Guys, this is a big statement to say, hey, my life is meaningless unless I do this one thing. My life is useless unless I do this one thing. Now, we don't, we don't see worth in life in the same way. For a lot of us, we have value in life when we're doing well and we're earning enough money and we have that house and we're wearing those types of clothes. Now you're valuable. You're valuable when you're popular or you have a good reputation or so many likes or so many followers or you have good looks or you're taking care of your body or you're, you're loved by your family. Now you're valuable, but not according to Scripture. And you know why? Because really in the end, None of that stuff's going to matter because you can't take any of that stuff with you to heaven. You know, in heaven, we're all going to have glorified bodies, so your looks aren't going to matter much because we're not going to be paying any attention to you. We're going to be so enamored by the holiness and splendor of God, He's going to get our full attention. In heaven, everything you've earned and everything you've worked for, everything you've bought is going to be left behind. You take no treasures with you. In heaven, the only thing that's going to mean anything is the people you bought with you. That's the only eternal currency is souls. It's the only thing that makes my life meaningful is those that I shared the gospel with. You see, the job of Christians isn't to be silent and caring and, oh, I don't want to, my life will be the only Bible that they read. No, that's nonsense. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, speak up. The Bible says, if you don't talk, no one will hear. No one will hear. You've got to talk. You've got to share the gospel. You've got to be bold about your faith. And so this is going to be the challenge this year. I want to challenge you to live out Acts 20, 24 in 2024. And this is going to be such an easy verse for you to remember because the year is right there. Acts 20, 24. Everyone say Acts 20, 24. Let's put it back up on the screen. Here's what you're going to live out. We want this to be your life's goal, that my life means nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. This is going to be the year we actually speak out. 
the year we actually speak about Jesus, the year we actually spread the good news, the year we open our mouth and take the risk and get some boldness and tell people about Christ, the year we actually invite people to church, so the year we get public and bold about our faith. We want this to be the year that you no longer are an undercover Christian, but instead you shine your light bright and you say, you know what, I'm proud about what I believe in, I believe it's the truth, and I think you should know this too. In fact, what we're gonna call this is the year of multiplication. We want this to be the year where two becomes four in 2024. The year where we multiply ourselves, where the work of God in the world is multiplied. The year of multiplication based on Acts 20, 24. The year where we spread the good news the year where we actually open up about our faith to our friends, our work colleagues, our boss, our family members, the person at spa packing our bags, and our barbers. Everyone. I want to actually tell them about Jesus. And I know, guys, even hearing this, because it's so out of character for modern-day Christians, I know even hearing this, a lot of Christians are like, oh, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can. We get paralyzed by fear, Right? And I'm so grateful that the Bible shows us people who are paralyzed by fear as well. Like, you're in the pages of this Bible. In fact, I want to show you a character called Peter who was paralyzed by the fear of people. Now, Peter, up to this point, has been walking and living with the Son of God for three years. He is a disciple of Jesus. He's been living full-time with Jesus Christ for three years. I mean, he's got his degree in theology from the Son of God. He must have thought, I've got this wax. I know so much about Jesus. He's my personal friend. I've been following Jesus. I mean, for three years, he's been discipled, and then Jesus gets arrested. And we pick up the story in Luke 22. It says, so they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home. Peter followed at a distance. He's already scared. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Hmm, she finally said. This man is one of Jesus' followers. <laughs> Peter denied it. Woman, he said. I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, Hey, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted. This must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed as Jesus had predicted. You see what Peter, he, he, he had been walking with Jesus. He believed in Jesus. But when it came to the crunch of it, he denied Jesus. Some of you can see a Peter living inside of you. You're just terrified to open your mouth. You're terrified to spread the gospel. And guys, this is what happens when we fear man more than we fear God we'll always be quiet about our faith. And I want to say, if you fear man more than you fear God, you'll be quiet about what you believe. And you'll hide it under a banner of, oh, we're just going to be like really tolerant and we don't want to impose. You're going to hide it under a banner of love, but the most unloving thing you can do is allow people to spend an eternity without God. And so something remarkable happens to this, this man, Peter, who in this moment has no backbone to stand up for what he believes in. 
this guy who denies Jesus publicly, something remarkable happens because literally if you just flip over a few pages, you land up in Acts chapter two. And let's read together what happens in Acts two from verse one. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by believers. Let's fast forward to verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward. Guys, who stepped forward? Peter. Peter? Is that you? He stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to this crowd, who we later learned is thousands of people. He shouts, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. And in the rest of Acts 2 is this incredible sermon that he preaches. And by the end of the sermon that he preaches, 3,000 people that were in that crowd get saved, which means a crowd was far bigger than 3,000. But 3,000 believers come to the faith through that sermon. And you've got to look at that and say, what happened to this guy? He, he was just scaredy pants Peter. And now he's bold, sharing his faith, Peter. What happened to this guy? And I'll tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit came upon him. The Holy Spirit filled him. And I want you to know that this is one of the duties, the jobs, the activities of the Holy Spirit in your life, is the Holy Spirit will make you bolder than you can make yourself. The Holy Spirit will increase your boldness. One of the first things he does is he gives us a boldness to share our faith. And I can tell you, undoubtedly, if you still have a Peter in you that's scared, pray for the Spirit of God to fill you so that you can have the boldness to share the message of Jesus Christ. The great news is, by the way, you don't have to make yourself bold. You don't have to make yourself courageous. You don't have to do this on your own. All you've got to do is pray. Holy Spirit, make me bold. Holy Spirit, give me the courage. Holy Spirit, help me speak, help me speak the truth to the people that I interact with in my life. And so I think this is really going to be something that's going to have to be led by prayer. If we're really going to do this well, I think it's so beautiful we've been praying and fasting for the last 14 days. What a way to end this fast. Because I think even as we go into this year, if we are going to share our faith boldly with others, it's going to have to be led by prayer. And so we're going to make it super practical for you. If you look under your chairs, you're going to find what we call an oikos list. You can grab it now. No, it's not a car. It's an oikos list. And you get an oikos list. And you get an oikos list. We all get an oikos list. Woohoo! Yeah. For those online or in our minor hall, please jump onto our New Life Church app. All the notes are there. And there's a space for this on the app today. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Don't do it now. I'm going to give you a space, but I want to share some rules and guidelines before we do this. This is going to be your 2024 Christian hit list. These are the people you want to get into heaven. So there's three categories here. You can think of maybe it's going to be some family members, maybe some friends, or maybe some coworkers or classmates. And I'd like you to write in total at least five names down. Five people who you're going to pray this whole year. 
You're going to pray, God, give me the words, give me the strategy, give me the boldness to tell them about you. But before you write those names down, here are some guidelines. I only want you to write two categories of people on this form. The first category is going to be non-believers. Everyone say non-believers. These are people who are either atheists, which means they have no religion or no belief, or they're members of another religion, Hindus or Muslims or Jews. And so I want you to think about people who have no belief that Jesus is the Son of God, then they qualify as a non-believer. And you can maybe write down some of their names. And it's good for you to share your experience with Jesus with those people. These are, this is really the people whose eternities can completely change once they meet and find Jesus. So the first category of people you can write on here is non-believers. The second category of people that you can write on here is unchurched Christians. Everyone say unchurched Christians. This is Christians. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they do not have a spiritual home. Now, why would we target unchurched Christians? Let me tell you why. I want to say this with all the conviction in my heart. An unchurched Christian is an ineffective Christian. And I'll tell you why. What I can do privately at home, maybe with my family, is I can worship God. I can love Him. I can read the, the Word of God. I can pray. But what I can't do at home by myself with my family is the actual work of God. And that is because the work of God is way too big for one person or family to do on their own. The only way, listen to me, the only way we actually do the work of God is in community. That's the only way. The work of God to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to take care of the orphans and the widows, the work of God to evangelize the nations, the work of God to disciple those who are new in the faith, the work of God to plant missions houses and do evangelism programs. That work is too big for any one person or family, which means the only way you can be an effective Christian is in community because it's in community where suddenly we can build orphanages and support widows and go to other nations and fund missionaries and have evangelism programs, it only happens in community. And if you're not in community, you're not an effective Christian. And so it's so important that we understand the power of Christian community. That is why the moment the Holy Spirit is poured out on this earth, 3,000 people, he births a megachurch. 3,000 people give their hearts to the Lord. And suddenly there is a community that can now actually be the hands and feet of Jesus and do the work that God requires. And so we want to target people who are Christians, but maybe don't go to church anywhere. They qualify. You can put them on this list. Now, there is a group of people we don't want on this list, and that is churched Christians. Everyone say churched Christians. I want to say this, guys, with lots of love in my heart. If someone is happy and attending their church, leave them alone. Leave them alone. Please don't come and fill these seats with those types of people. We need to reserve our seats. We don't have the space for church Christians. We need to reserve our space for the unchurched and the unbelieving. Let me tell you this. If every single church in our city was full of people, we would still have more people outside than inside. And so we really need the churches not to just be shuffling around Christians. There's no point. It helps no one. What we need is for the Christians to be reaching the lost 
That's how you grow the kingdom of God. And so if you know of someone who is happy and regularly attending their church, do not invite them to come to New Life Church. You will only be bringing division. If God wants to move them out of that community, He will do that moving. And that will be at His time. You don't have to be involved in that. So the only ones we want to target is the unchurched and the unbelieving. And so I want you to think of people you work with, people in your family, people you know, maybe someone who's just an acquaintance or even a Facebook friend, someone that you go to school with or is in your office or someone you hang out with, play golf with, whatever it is. And you know they fall in one of those two categories. Perhaps the reason that you are in their life is because God knows you're the only one who can reach them. God, someone did it for you. Now it's your turn to do it for someone else. And so I'm gonna give you a minute or two to think through that, to pray through that, and to write out your Christian hit list for 2024. Go for it. hope you have some names there, and what I want to encourage you to do now is this becomes a prayer list for you. You're going to be praying this whole year, because the goal is by December of this year that you would have had a conversation with every single one of them. So you want to pray for boldness and for opportunity. And guys, this isn't hard. Look at someone and say, this isn't hard. The, the devil wants to make you believe this is incredibly difficult. He wants to terrify you. He wants to instill in you fear. The devil loves to use fear to get us to stop doing the work of God. But this is not hard. The Bible has some great examples for how easy evangelism is. 
Now, that doesn't mean there's not a wrong way to do it. And now, let me just tell you, the only wrong way to do it is to do it with judgment, with harshness, without love, to do it unkindly, to do it in a belittling way, to do it in a judgmental way. If you're doing evangelism in that kind of way, you're doing it wrong. In fact, to help give you a bit of an idea, have a look at these guys. This is how not to do evangelism. Good afternoon, officer. Is there a problem? License, please. You have a choice. You can either go to jail or you can go to church. Hi, Jan. Hi. You know you're going to hell. Or you can come to church. Turn on pain! You turn on pain! Hey Chris. Yeah? What you doing this weekend? Nothing much. Oh great! Do you want to come to church? Okay, so that's how not to do it. Can we give those guys a hand? I think they had a lot of fun doing that together. Okay, so how do you do it? Well, let's look at some biblical examples of how to do this well. And um, let's start in John chapter 1 from verse 40 to 42. It says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, and he said this so simple to him. We have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. We call this come and see evangelism. Everyone say, come and see. And sometimes, guys, it's all it takes is to share your story with excitement and say, you've got to come and see. You've got to come and see. And I want you to think about what moment has stood out for you in your life. Maybe someone shared Jesus with you and it gave you hope when you were hopeless. Just share it. Like, you've got to come and meet Jesus. I think he's exactly what you need. Maybe, and super easy, just to invite them to church and say, hey, you've just got to come and see, right? And, and maybe you can share how in worship you felt God's presence. Maybe you heard his voice. Maybe there was a message someone preached, and it felt like they were preaching right to you, like they were picking on you. And you were like, God is speaking right to me. I actually had a couple the other day. Um, the, the husband was so upset when they came to this church because he was convinced that his wife had met me in the week and that I had planned my entire message just to pick on him, right? Maybe you've had that experience. I know I've said that before. If someone's preaching, I'm like, how do they know my business? Like, and maybe you just share that experience. Like, you've got to come and see what God does in this place. It's so easy. We see this kind of come and see evangelism happening all over Scripture. Let me show you some more examples in John 1, verse 35 to 36. 
The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, look, it's a Lamb of God. And just by saying that, two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Same thing happens with the woman at the well in John 4, 28. It says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the disciples, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. This could be the Messiah. And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. This is what you want to do if you want to multiply. It's just by having the, the courage to say, hey, you just got to come check this out. Just got to come. I've met Jesus. I want you to meet him too. Hey, I've experienced something great. I want you to experience it too. You just got to come and see. Everyone say, come and see. You've just done it. Give yourselves a hand. You've extended an invitation. It's not hard. It's not hard. It's sometimes that easy. Hey, just come with me and see. Just come and have a look. Hey, just come and have an experience. Just come and meet the Jesus that I met. He. He's healed me. He's spoken to me. I've experienced him. I want you to just come and see. In fact, what we're hoping to make you this year is one giant invitation. We just want your life to be a giant invitation for people to come and see. And so we want to do some things to help you be an invitation. At the door today on your way in, you would have got a, one or two business cards from the church. This is just such an easy thing to do. Those business cards are not for you. You're already here. You already know about Jesus. These are for you to hand out. And it's, it's even it's like the stakes are low because you can just leave that on the desk when someone's not in the office, right? And then like, I don't know who left that there. <laughs> right, if you're really shy, you can just like put it in the hand and run, right? But it's just an easy way to invite someone. Stakes are low. If a question comes up, just like whip up the business card and say, just come try this, right? It's just easy. So we, we're gonna once a month on your way into church, once a month, we're going to put some business cards in your hand. And I want you to challenge yourself this week to give out all the business cards that someone put into your hand today. Just stakes a low, just put it in a grocery bag somewhere or put it in the window of someone's car. Just, just try to get the word out. Be a giant invitation. Another thing we're going to be doing is once a term here at this church, we're going to have what's called an invite Sunday. And so we're going to announce an invite Sunday in advance. And the idea of an invite Sunday is that whole day is gonna be geared towards just sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And you might know someone who just needs to really hear that message from start to finish, have the cross in Jesus explained to them in a way they can understand. And so we're gonna, again, resource you. We'll give you invites for the Invite Sunday. And uh, then we're gonna plan a beautiful Sunday where we really explain who Jesus is. We're gonna do that once a term, and we'll be announcing the Invite Sundays beforehand. So if you have someone in mind, who really is lost or very critical about God or has lots of questions, that's gonna be the Sunday you've gotta get them to. Then, for the last few years, we've been having a campaign in our city that we called Paint the City Blue. We had a church slogan called Loved Just As You Are, and it really, that was so inspired by God, it's been so effective in our city, it's been so effective for our church, but we felt that it's time now to do something new. And so starting from today, that's no longer going to be our church slogan. We've had the campaign for over five years now, and we've just felt like it's become a bit of wallpaper. You know, if you see something so often, you don't even notice it anymore. And we think people aren't even really noticing that campaign anymore because we've done it for so long. So from today, we're starting a brand new campaign, and we have a brand new church slogan, and it's this, let's do new life together, right? This is one giant invitation. One massive invitation for people to just, hey, we wanna do this together. 
And so, uh, like before, we're going to invite you to go brand your car with one of these, a free. And so we have a station today on the way out. We have a station here on the Mandela side. You can just go park your car there. There's some people there that will put this on your car for you. You don't have to do it. If you still got the old sticker on, they'll remove that one, put this one on. So think about making your car an invitation and uh, really shouting the message that, hey, you are invited. Come do life together. We even have house signs, and we want to encourage you to put these on your house, uh, on the wall of your house, not inside your house. That doesn't help anyone, right? This is not for your, for your bedroom. It's for the outer walls of your home or for your businesses. A lot of people put these on their businesses, right? And again, it's just to be a massive, giant invitation. These are free again. We're handing them out today at the information desk. If you take one, what we're going to ask is that you do write down your name and your phone number. And during this course of the week, we're going to WhatsApp you and ask for a photo of the sign-up because we want to put out a campaign showing everyone where the signs are. So please consider getting involved in that campaign. Not only can your life be a big invitation of come and see, but there's other little evangelism methods we see in Scripture. Let's go together in Mark 2. I love this story, and we're going to read together from verse 2. It says, Soon the house where Jesus was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. So while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, and seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, your, my child, your sins are forgiven. I mean, these guys were willing to do anything in order to get someone to meet Jesus. And this form of evangelism we call meeting a need. Everyone say, meet a need. And this is a great way to get people to Jesus. This is different to saying, hey, come to church with me. Instead of saying that, it's, hey, I'm going to be picking you up at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. You're coming to church with me. I'm going to meet that need. I see hurt in you. I see depression in you. I see loneliness in you. I'm not going to wait for you to make the first move. I'm going to do it for you. Imagine those four men saying to their paralyzed friend, hey, well, Jesus is going to be at that house. So hopefully you can get there. Right? No, instead, they're like, we're going to carry you. However long, whatever it takes, we're going to carry you to Jesus. And so one of the best things we can do is meet a need. And I want you to think about the needs of people around you that are on your Oikos list. Maybe during the year, someone's going to land up in hospital or go through a crisis. Well, this is a great opportunity for your circle to get together and say, hey, one of my members are in need. Let's meet that need. Maybe this week, we're going to, even though we don't know this person, they're not part of our group, but let's cook them supper every single night this week. Hey, maybe their car broke down. Let's lend them our car for as long as they need it. Maybe they need their kids picked up from school because they're out of town for a while. Well, hey, can, I, can we try and meet the need of this person on my Oikos list because we, we want to show them that kind of radical love because we know it brings them to Jesus. And the second thing that these four friends did in Mark 2, which might surprise you, is they were willing to break the rules. Everyone say, break the rules. Sometimes, in order to reach people for Jesus, you're gonna to have to break the rules. You can imagine these guys coming to Jesus, and uh, that homeowner, I always think like, what is that homeowner going through? Here he is, he thinks he's hosting like his VIP guest, Jesus is in the house, and then suddenly these guys start breaking down his house. 
And he, he must have been tempted to shout, hey, guys, stop vandalizing my property. I don't know if the insurance is going to cover that. Like, what's going on? But these guys wouldn't let anything. They were willing to break the rules to get someone to Jesus. And sometimes you're going to have to break the rules. In fact, that's exactly what the early disciples and apostles had to do every single time. And I want to remind you, according to God's word, no one is allowed to forbid you from spreading the gospel. And if any human authority tries to stop you, any work policy, any government official, any police, if anyone earthly forbids you from sharing the gospel of Jesus, you are allowed to break those rules, biblically speaking. No human authority can stop you from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so sometimes it's going to be to say, hey, I know I might, this might be against my work policy. This might not be allowed where I am. This might not be allowed in my school, but I'm going to do it anyway, just like the early disciples did. No human authority is going to stop us. This is something we will die for. You cannot silence us. You cannot stop us. And church, it's about time we did this because can I remind you, the world is getting bold about its message. The world is shouting its message. It's so bold. It's so proud. It stands so firmly on its beliefs. And we have a better message. We have a much better message to share than the world does. It's time for the children of God to get so bold in what we believe. And so you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm not scared about imposing my beliefs onto you. My beliefs are going to help you. My beliefs are going to get you into heaven. My beliefs are going to introduce you to the Savior of the world, the powerful, beautiful, holy Jesus Christ. I'm going to impose this on you because it's good for you. And so here's what I want to read over your lives. I want you to all take your Oikos list in your hand. Can you hold it in your hands for me? And I want to declare the scripture over your life from Matthew 28, from verse 19. Church, this is our mission, our instruction, our commission. Therefore, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you will live out the words of Jesus Christ in 2024, that this will be the year of multiplicity, that you will find something worth dying for, that nothing will stop you from the work of sharing the gospel, because this makes your life valuable. This gives your life value. And so while you hold that, let me pray for you. Father God, I want to Thank you for every name represented on these lists. You know every single person, God. You love every single person represented on these lists. So right now, God, I want to pray for boldness. I pray, God, for courage. I pray, Father God, that you would give people opportunity, that you would give them words to speak. Father God, that you would give them the courage that they need. Lord, that you would help them that you would help them in, in the times where they're not sure what to say or how to say it. Father God, that you would, by your spirit, you would give them the utterance, Father. You would give them the wisdom. So I thank you, God, for every list, for every person, for every family represented. And I thank you, God, that your kingdom will multiply, that two will become four, and that just like in the early church, you will add to your church daily those who are being saved. And by faith, 
We thank you for this mission, for this commission. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.